It's my prayer this morning that you've all recovered from your Thanksgiving stupor. It seems like we have eaten for five days straight. You know, you eat all day Thursday and then you, you eat again, uh, try and knock off all, all the leftovers on Friday, and then on Saturday you feel like, well, it's the holidays, we still have to keep eating, and so you cook more and invite people over and you eat, and here we are Sunday, and most of us uh, are probably still somewhat in food comas. Uh, and so we want to uh, give the Lord the praise and glory because we do have the resources and the blessings to be able uh, to enjoy all that God has blessed us with. Uh, well, uh, this morning we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> I do want to echo what Bo said. Uh, I am still sore uh, from our football game last weekend. Uh, I would like to note, though, that I was the oldest one out there. And so no one else has any room to be sore. Now, every, all, of, all of these young pups that were, that were talking all the smack, now they're, they're all sore and they're all saying, oh, I'm too old for this. I'm like, you're 23. You're not too old. Uh, but uh, we had a great time. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, Grant, you can tell Timmy uh, that, uh, that he didn't have the guts to show up. Uh, so, you know, tell him that, tell him, tell him, tell him that the, the preacher called him out from the, from the pulpit. Uh, so, uh, we did have a great time. Look forward to next year when I'll be a year older and I'll be able to do like Alan and just sit on the sidelines and, and, and watch everybody else, uh, and get exhausted just from the sheer, uh, observance of the energy that, that was, uh, exerted out there. Matthew chapter 10, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10, we're going to read verses 31 through 42 this morning Matthew chapter 10 therefore do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows everyone therefore who shall confess me before men I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven but whoever shall deny me before men I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemy will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. He who receives, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of the disciple gives to one of the little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, Truly, I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love of God which is made evident through Christ. Lord, we pray that we may emulate the love of Christ in the way that we live our lives. We pray this morning, Lord, that Jesus may be glorified in and through us. God, may you speak to our hearts, 
through your word here this morning. And may you speak this morning through your humble servant. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I pray that as you leave this place today, that you will love God supremely. That you will love Him more than you love anything else. And if we have accomplished that, then we have accomplished a great deal. As we get into this passage, as we get into this passage, Jesus is coming on the heels of, of His admonition and His sending out the disciples. And he's, He said, okay, I'm going to send you out as sheep amongst wolves. I want you to be as, as cunning or as shrewd as vipers, as snakes, and I want you to be as innocent as doves, and, and I, am, I am sending you out. And then he gives them some very specific instructions, and then he concludes with, with this passage, almost a, almost a litmus test of discipleship. And there are three things that I want us to pick up, three things that I want us to observe from his ending admonition. First of all, he encourages them with this. He says, God loves you with an unconditional love you say preacher where in the world did you get that well if you look at verse 30 if you look at verse 30 it tells us that the very hairs on our head are numbers therefore do not fear you are more valuable than the sparrow earlier in the passage he says uh, he, he talks about how how he cares for the sparrow how he cares for the the, the smallest of the creatures uh, of his creation and then he says you are more precious you are more valuable than that that God knows you he knows every aspect about you and he loves he knows every hair that is on your head i want us to understand that god loves us with an unconditional love so many times in our lives we we live in a in a world of hypocrisy we live in a world where we put on faces we live in a world where we put on facades that that we have to we have to put on a mask we have to put on a face because if people saw who we really are they wouldn't like us. If they saw the thoughts going through our heads, if they saw the animosity and the bitterness and the hatred that we had towards others, that, that they wouldn't want to be around us. They certainly wouldn't want to talk to us. They wouldn't want to interact with us. We certainly wouldn't get invited over for Thanksgiving dinner. If they knew who we really were, they wouldn't love us. If, we knew who we really, if they knew who we really were, not only would they not love us, but they wouldn't even like us. But the scripture tells us that God knows who we are. He knows every intimate detail of who we are. He knows our heart. He knows every aspect about our character, and He loves us anyway. He knows all of us, and He loves us anyway. This is, this is seen all throughout the Old Testament. When does God call Abram out of the land of the Chaldeans? After he has demonstrated himself faithful? No, while he is a worshiper of false gods. Abram worshiped the gods of his father and then god called him out of the land of the chaldeans and said abram come and follow me i will make a great nation of you it's interesting before jacob was even born before jacob was even born god had god had called him and set him apart and said jacob you will be the father of nations although you are the second born the scripture says in romans that jacob i've loved and esau i've hated that jacob was set apart even before he was even born. And the scripture tells us, and we see this all throughout, all throughout the Old Testament in the story of Jacob, Jacob was a liar. That was his very nature. His name literally means deceiver. It's a beautiful name, but beware if you name your kid Jacob, he's going to be a liar. Newsflash, 
Whatever you name your kid, he's going to be a liar because he's born a sinner. Jacob literally means deceiver. Yet God had set him apart while he was a sinner. God showed him grace and showed him favor in the midst of his deception. Remember, this is Jacob, the same one who deceived his brother and stole his birthright for a bowl of soup. That was one hungry guy. God loves us in the midst of our sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us this, that God demonstrates his great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to point this out to you in a very tangible, practical way. Turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Jesus is coming upon the last moments of his life. He has been with the the disciples for three years, ministering throughout Galilee, ministering throughout Judea. And he's coming upon these last few moments of his life. John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 are are kind of Jesus' epitaph to his disciples, his last will and testaments, if you will. Uh, Where I'm going, you cannot come, but I go to prepare a place for you. And it is necessary that I go, and if I go, I will send you the helper, the Holy Spirit who will come and who will teach you and disciple you in all things. And we see John 14, 15, and 16, and then we see John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, right before Jesus goes on uh, into uh, uh, the, the, the trial and uh, crucifixion. Jesus has this, this, this epilogue, this monologue where he is praying with the Father there in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is John chapter 13, right before all of this. Jesus is intimately aware of all of the events that are about to transpire. He is intimately aware that Judas has already made a deal with the high priest. He's intimately aware that that Judas is about to betray him and about to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. He is intimately aware, as as we'll read here in John chapter 13, that that Satan has already entered Judas, that he has already, that that all of the, the moving parts have already been set in motion. And this man whom Jesus has walked with, for the past three years, this man whom Jesus has served with, who, is, who has lived with, who has poured his life into for the last three years, is about to betray him. John chapter 13. Now before the feast, the Passover, Jesus, knowing his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during the supper... The devil already been put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and all that he had come forth from God, was going back to God, he rose up from supper, laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he girded himself. Verse 5, he poured water into the basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel, with which he was girded. Notice it says in John chapter 13 that he washed all the disciples' feet except the one that betrayed him. Right? No. The text says that Jesus, knowing exactly who Judas was, knowing exactly what he had already done and was going to do, that Jesus humbled himself, stripped naked, wrapped a towel around his waist and served his disciples. Served not only Judas, but Peter, who would deny him. 
Not only Judas and Peter, but all the other disciples whom when push came to shove, they would scatter like a bunch of roaches when you turn on the lights. God demonstrates His great love for us in that while we were yet sinners, He loved us. His love is manifest by, by He knows who we are. He knows the wickedness. He knows the, the, the malice and the animosity that's in our heart. And He loves us anyway. He knows those thoughts that we think in the deepest, darkest recesses of our hearts that we don't want anyone else to know. And He loves us anyway. Contrast this with the way that we love others. It's interesting. As we interact with our fellow man, we love people as long as they're good to us. You know, the golden rule is love others, treat others as they have treated you, right? <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we practically live out the golden rule. If they're mean to me, we write them off. How many of us, how many of us, and I'm guilty of this, if somebody has, has done something that is, that is hurtful to me or my family, then we say, you know what? Fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, or fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? If you're going to hurt me, if you're going you're gonna to hurt my family, I'm not going to give you that opportunity again. And if they've hurt us, or if they've, they've deceived us, or if they have betrayed us, then we write them off. Oh, we may still be civil, we may still be cordial, we may still shake their hands, we may still hug their neck, we may still sit and talk across the Thanksgiving table, smile. I know this never happens in families. But how do we treat others? Do we love as Christ loved? No. Because we're not God. We're human. And we love like humans love. When it's beneficial to us, when it is, when it is something that, that, that can benefit us, when it's something that can uh, bring us pleasure, bring us enjoyment, bring us encouragement, then we love. Then we show compassion. But how did Christ love? How does God love in a way that is self-sacrificing, in a way that is unconditional? And I want to point out, as we go back to the text, that Jesus is encouraging his disciples. You're going to be flogged. You're going to be, be put on trial. You're going to endure hardships. But this is what ought to encourage you, that I love you with an unconditional love. That God loves us supremely. And in turn, we should love God supremely so the observation is this that god loves us more than anything else that god loves us with an unconditional love and in turn excuse me and in turn we should love god more than anything else this is the heart of deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 and 5 this is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Israelites, the, the Jewish people, would know this verse from the moment they came out of the womb. The mom and the dad, just like we sit and we sing Amazing Grace and we sing, uh, 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 we teach our children John 3.16, we teach our children Romans 3.23, and John, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 1.1, they know these verses. These Israelites would have known Deuteronomy chapter 6 like it was the back of their hand. This was... The law of God summarized. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And then the next verse, verse 5, said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. 
And so we see that this is the heart of the, of the law. This is the heart of the passage to the Israelite people that, that we should in turn love God more than anything else. But I want us to understand that Jesus was intimately, because Jesus knew us, because he knows every hair that is upon our head, he is intimately aware of the human condition. And the human condition is this, that we will love this world and all that this world has to offer more than we love God. Such is the nature of sin. Go with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Paul is explaining the problem with humanity. He says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed against heaven and against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Skip down to verse 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Paul said the problem with sin, the problem with, with the way that we are wired is that we love the creator, I'm sorry, sorry, the creation rather than the creator. We love the gift rather than the giver. It's easy for us to recognize that all that we have is a gift from God, but whenever we are sitting in the midst of all that we have, what are we focused upon? Not the God who gave it to us, but all that we have. We just got done celebrating Thanksgiving. I don't know what your table was like at Thanksgiving, but our table was an embarrassment of wealth. There was enough food on our table to feed a small third world country. We put up more leftovers and Tupperware than many households will eat an entire year. And as we sat around the Thanksgiving table, we're consumed with all that we have. And even in this moment of of thanksgiving where we where we are supposed to stop and thank the gift i'm sorry thank the giver not the gift we are consumed with making sure that the turkey is just right making sure that the dressing is just right making sure that the pies are not burnt making sure that the bread comes out of the oven and it's hot and it's served and we are focused and consumed on the gift rather than the giver it's interesting It's interesting, we're coming upon this season of Christmas. And my children are going to get more stuff than should be allowed by law. They're going to go to my parents' house, and we're going to have to bring the pickup truck to haul all the stuff that 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 Gaby's going to give them because she has no now that my dad's passed away there's 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 no temperance there to say no you 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 can't buy them everything that they want so she just buys them everything that they want and if that wasn't bad enough then we're going to go to my in-laws house and we're going to have to go home in between to drop off all the gifts empty out the pickup truck to have the pickup truck empty so when we go to my in-laws they can load up all the stuff there and then we're going to go to my grandmother's uh, Natalie's grandmother's house and we're going to go to friends and we're going to go to aunts and uncles and they're going to get more stuff than than is it's just sinful and they're going to get more stuff and our children as much as we try we sit down on Christmas Eve and we read the Christmas story and we come on 
Christmas Eve night and we come to church we teach our children Christmas is about Christ. It's about the gift of the Christ child that was given to us. The reality is, is that our children are going to be focused on Pokemon and eye touches and Skylanders and whatever it is, the gift that they're going to get. As we go back to Matthew, I want to notice, I want us to notice that Jesus is pointing out our natural inclination to be consumed with the gifts of God rather than the giver of the gift. Look at Matthew chapter 10. He says, verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace, but I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. He said, I want to divide you from the gift and the recipient of the gift. I want you to understand that there is a division. Now, now, don't misunderstand this passage. This is not a contradiction. This is not a, a contradiction of uh, Luke chapter 2, whenever the angels proclaim, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born a, a, a Savior today whose name is Jesus, and there shall be peace and goodwill to all men. This is not a contradiction to that passage. Jesus is making a clear statement. He's saying that, that I want to divide you. I want to remove from you. I want to separate you from the gift for just a moment so that you can see that there is a priority, that there is a distinction between the gift and the giver. Notice what he says. He says, I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies shall be the members of his own household. He who loves his father more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I want us to understand, I want us to understand that the natural inclination of human beings is that the most affection and the, the greatest amount of love and the greatest amount of compassion that we have is not for our stuff. Yes, we love our stuff, but the greatest amount of affection that we have is for those whom God has given to us. Our children, our parents, our siblings, our loved ones, our family. But understand that those in and of themselves are a gift from, the, are, are a gift from God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Children are a blessing from the Lord. They are, a, they, they, they are the, the gift from God. Our families are a gift from God. And this passage, this passage is not an encouragement to love our families less. Don't misunderstand this passage. Jesus is not saying, don't love your children. He's not saying, don't love your parents. He's not saying, don't love your mother-in-law. As easy as that would be to, to, to obey. He says... No, because we see other places in Scripture. As Jesus is hanging upon the cross, he looks down at the cross and sees his mother and, and expresses compassion and care for her. He says, he looks at John and he says, he says, behold your mother. He looks at Mary, he says, behold your son. It is, it is a clear demonstration that Jesus desires to honor Mary and to love her and to care for her, even in the hour of his death. And so Jesus is not admonishing the disciples to love their families less. Hear the admonition of Christ. Jesus is demanding that they love the Father, that they love the giver more than the gift. 
Understand that your family, your loved ones, your children, your parents are a gift from God and that we are to focus our love and our admiration and our attention not on the gift, but on the giver. And so here's the observation. One, that we love, that God loves us supremely. That God loves us with an unconditional love. That God loves us so much so that that we can't even possibly fathom the amount with which God loves us. He loves us while we were enemies of God. Secondly, He calls us to love Him more than we love anything in this world. More than we love anything in this world. And then thirdly, Jesus calls us to love others. Look at the very last passage in Matthew chapter 10. Very last verse. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. This is only possible if we have experienced the love of God. It's impossible for us to love others as Christ loved without the love of God in us and through us. 1 John chapter 4, 19 says, we love God because He first loved us. That's the only way that we are able to love with a, with a, with a supernatural love is because we have experienced, we have received the love of the Father. That's the only way that it's possible. But then Jesus does not say, I want you to love me, but he says, I want you to love others. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. In in one of the other gospels, I believe it's Luke's gospel, we see Jesus saying this, if you give somebody uh, something to drink in my name, if you give them something to wear in my name, if 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 you do whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. And they said, when, when have we done this unto you? And he says, whatever you've done to the least of these, God desires for us to demonstrate our love for him in the way that we love others. Our love for God will manifest itself in our love for others. If the love of God does not reflect itself in your character, then it is not the love of God. James chapter 1 verse 27 says this, this is true and undefiled religion. This is true and undefiled religion that you care for the, that, that you love the prisoners, I'm sorry, that you love the widows and that you care for the orphans. Those who are unable to care for themselves. This is true love that is manifest in your life when you love the widow and when you care for the orphan. When you care for those who are unable to care for themselves. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 13. I want us to see Jesus' encouragement the end of john chapter 13 verse 34 jesus says a new commandment i give to you that you love one another even as i have loved you you also love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples now i want us to point out i want to look at this 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 very beginning of chapter 13 verse 34 he says a new commandment i give to you now The law has stood for some 2,000 years. And Jesus is coming and he's saying, a new commandment I give to you. 
Now, if something has stood for 2,000 years, all of a sudden is made new, then we ought to pay attention to it. We ought to figure out, okay, what is new about this commandment? And look at what it says. I give you a new commandment that you love one another even as I have loved you. Now, the old commandment said what? That you love your neighbor, I'm sorry, that you love your neighbor as what? As yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does Jesus say here in John chapter 13, verse 34? A new commandment I give to you, that you love your neighbor, that you love one another, how? As I have loved you. Do you see the difference? Don't love your neighbor in the imperfect way that you love yourself, desiring pleasure, desiring uh, uh, to, to sustain yourself, but love your neighbor, love others with the sacrificial love that I have demonstrated as I have loved you. The new commandment is to love like Jesus. This is the evidence of discipleship. This is the evidence of the love of God in us. That we love others as Christ loved. How did Christ love? Let's go back to the very beginning. Jesus, knowing Judas would betray him, washed his feet. Jesus, knowing Peter would deny him, washed his feet. Jesus, knowing the disciples would abandon him, served him, washed their feet. Jesus, knowing you and all of your sin, me, in all of my sin, that I loved you so much that I'm going to give my life for you. We are called to love others with that love. That is only possible if we have experienced the love of God for ourselves. So here's the question I have for you. Have you experienced the love of God? in such a real way that it transforms your life. If you have, then God has called you to love Him supremely and to show that love by how you love others. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have loved us with an unconditional love that you knew everything about us. You knew us in our sin. You knew us in our selfishness. You knew us in our depravity. And you loved us anyway. There's someone here this morning who's never experienced that love in a first-hand way. Well, you've heard about the love of God. You've heard of He loved me so much that He died on the cross, but you've never experienced it. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. Know the love of God firsthand. Maybe this morning you're here and you've known the love of God in a very personal way. you've been wrapped up in the gifts 
and you've worshiped and you've loved the gift rather than the giver. You've loved the creation rather than the creator. And God is calling you this morning, tonight, today, to repent of that idolatry and to love God more than anything else. Maybe this morning, God has called you to a deeper love for your fellow man. You've been judgmental. You've been ill-tempered, short-sighted, and you have not loved others as Christ has loved you. And the Holy Spirit right now is convicting you of that Maybe this morning you need to get on your knees right where you're at or come to this altar. The beautiful message of the gospel is Jesus said, all those who confess their sin. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness and cleanse us and make us right. In just a few moments, we're going to share the Lord's Supper. Maybe there's a broken relationship in your life. Maybe there's someone in whom you need to seek restoration and reconciliation. Maybe they're right here in this room. Whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, may you find yourself obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.